This is a Media Lab podcast. Uh, Kyle, are you okay? What are you looking at? I'm just hypnotized by the beauty of this plastic bag. It's weird. I think that's compostable. It's weird, actually. I think it. I think it's filled with like dog feces. And the weirdest thing is, as I don't own a dog. Oh, that's disgusting. Could be the mouse. Ugh! Don't remind me. <laughs> gonna kill myself in his own garage kyle has built a machine cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local dairy queen this monstrosity is now alive and evil kyle has convinced his friend dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks the ultimate purpose is still unknown and kyle could have probably done this himself but he's not being dragged to hell alone this, this is, is kyle and dave, dave versus, versus the machine, the machine. I'm so scared. I can't even walk around my own house. <laughs> if people don't know, I may or may not have a mouse in my house still. Maybe one of them has not. one of them has definitely been thrown out of the house, but there could be others, and I'm not taking any chances. So cruelly, I might add. I just Couldn't have I, live I pull a Michael Caine, and I just like huff ether and fall asleep and wake up and go about my day. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm a depressed, middle-aged man staring off. No, I'm Dave. And I'm the machine. It's a podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Today, we're going to be watching the film American Beauty. Morning, Jim. Morning, Carolyn. I love your tie, that color. going dad ricky coming dad everyone write out a job description that way management can assess who's valuable and who's expendable My parents are trying. dave I, I american beauty i think has i don't know a pretty interesting role in the year 1999 i think that it had uh, a, some interesting buzz that was going on about it and i'm Curious to jump into this movie again just to see how much it's actually held up over like the last 21 years. But I think where we need to start is the history of your relationship with this movie. And I don't know if you want to get into what your feelings are of Sam Mendes generally. I can't remember if I watched this in the theater. I do know uh, that I watched it with Helen mm. on uh, some type of rental. So that was definitely after 99 because. We started in 2000, which was a long time ago, Kyle. I think we both thought it was very overrated. Right. Um, now, I don't remember how much I was aware of the buildup. At the end of 1999, I wasn't that aware of anything. <laughs> I wasn't doing so great. I wasn't doing so hot, 
Kyle, at the end of 19... Because I'm pretty sure, I don't know, when's the release of this? This is like Oscar bait, right? Like uh, November, yes. December? This uh, we'll, we'll get to that, but this was, yeah, in the fall time. Okay, so yeah, that might explain part of it because I was pretty cross-eyed at that point. And um, yeah, Sam Mendes, though, he made my favorite Bond film. We've discussed that this year already. Uh, I love Skyfall. And uh, just a quick look at his curriculum vitae, is that how you say it? I like pretty much everything he's made so uh i like him a lot just don't like his very first one well i mean i get why it won no i don't yeah that's okay it was his debut i'll forgive him i i well i I only bring that up so just to kind of give you a history if we just look at just the 90s okay so if we're just looking at the 90s this was coming at the end of unforgiven schindler's list forrest gump braveheart the English Patient, Titanic, and then the year before was Shakespeare in Love. So yeah. these are like gigantic, and in many cases, like these big budget historical epics. And this is the film that sneaks in and wins Best Picture in 1999. And I feel that even though we would return back to Gladiator the, fu- the next year past this, this is really, I feel like the the movement away from like the epic being like the this is the obvious oscar film that's going to win best picture to a much more indie ish you can say it movies people don't watch it was this kind of big marking point or delineation in oscar history of the moving away from the epic just quickly i mean on that theme we have talked a lot about how there's a building sense of cynicism growing yes, by the I end agree. of the I agree, and this is kind of the encapsulation of it. Yeah, and then I guess next year there's a bit of a, a pushback, a denial, where they're like, oh, it got a little dark there, guys. So let's give it to Joaquin and Russell for stabbing each other. And then um, and then 2011, uh, 2001, every, you know, the yeah, world broke. So things just kind first, of get Well, weird. not the first time, but that's an interesting observation. Of that group, I mean, you could argue Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, you could. Yeah, there's was the first. Yeah, slip? I would agree yeah. with that. Um, <laughs> in that, it was supposed to be saving. Well, supposed to be. Uh, everyone thought it was going to be saving Private Ryan that year, and then it didn't end up uh, being the one that won. Um, that's getting into Oscar lore and history, which is my thing. And who cares about the Oscars? I get that. American Beauty. I saw one, of course, on Oscar night. I don't know if you know this, Dave, but my theater burnt down in my small town when I was a kid. So uh, I did not even have the chance of seeing American Beauty in theaters. Not that it would have played in Rocky Mountain House, Alberta, Canada. Uh, Not in a million years. So this was definitely a rental that I would have seen sometime in the year 2000. And I remember at the time actually quite liking it. I thought there was these darkly humorous spits. I aligned with like the teenagers in the movie. I was like 16 myself. So I was like, yeah, I, I don't want to be like the same as everybody else, man. Uh, you know, that sort of uh, mentality that I, I know I've watched this a couple of times. I, I would even recall vividly on the DVD, which I owned of American Beauty. There was this like little featurette about like, quote-unquote like hidden things about the movie and they were they went into like this is why like there's this reflection on his computer screen because it's made to look like prison bars as he sits on his in his desk and blah 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 blah. all the like pretentious like film major stuff that happens that i would have been totally into at that time and now i find insufferable to listen to um (laughs) your life is even sadder than i thought so i was in it i was in this movie 
but I, I have not watched I sat down and be like, you know what I want to watch tonight? American Beauty. <laughs> like I just haven't had that <laughs> urge to go and sit down and watch it. So I'm kind of interested to see if my feelings towards the film are as positive as they were. You know, I'm going to say 18 years ago, the last time I watched this movie, maybe. I watched it a lot all yeah, at once. Like it was, I definitely watched it a few times a, in university, but I, to be saying, to be fair though, I know I bring this up sometimes and you get mad, uh, but just looking at like things that are in the, the, the ether of the public consciousness or are they so culturally relevant? American beauty gifts are shared like all the time <laughs> on the internet. I see them all the time. So whether it's making fun of like the, plastic bag so beautiful as being like the depiction of like pretentious art students or you know substituting Mina Savari's head for somebody else for like rose petals falling down like there does seem to be a thing that people remember this movie for <laughs> and they still use and memify and like reuse till this day yeah it'd be interesting to ask a young person if they get the plastic bag yeah why is it funny yeah you know? yeah I was just thinking, this is a great movie that I imagine your dad would have brought in and you'd be sitting on a couch. Like, what was the other one that just, and you're just like hanging out watching uh, uh, a midlife crisis? Yeah, we, gone, wa we watched Fargo. Here. We watched Sixth Sense together. <laughs> uh, we watched the first half of Deliverance before he took my sister out of the room because he knew what was coming up. Oh my and, God. Uh, your dad's pretty woke, Kyle. He's, he's keeping you in I it. Still, it's great. As a complete tangent, I don't know how many people know about Deliverance, um, but there is a very famous um, homosexual rape scene that happens partway through that film. Uh, by the way, hi, Jen, who's watching us on our live stream on Google here currently. Uh, get that watch time up. But my mother and us, the rest of the family, were all in the video rental store. And she's like, oh, I've heard some good things about Deliverance. We should watch this. Kyle's into film. <laughs> and my dad's like, uh, I think we should maybe pick something else. And then she's like, oh, come on, we, we can we can watch this. And she, she kind of just like strong armed and we rented it. So we're watching, watching, watching. And that's when my dad's like, hey, let's get some ice cream. And like literally like pushed my sister into the kitchen to go and get ice cream. And me and my mother together oh, watched that scene. Nice. And I have been traumatized for the rest of my life. I'm like, what is going on? Why did we rent this movie to watch as a family? That's a formative experience right mm -hmm. there. That's, uh, that's, that explains a lot. Do not like the oh. movie Deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> so but it's, you know Bert's so young I mean I'm pretty sure he's one of the few movies where he has no mustache I was gonna so, say it's like one yeah. of the weirdest things because he doesn't have a mustache like this is not the Burt Reynolds that I know <laughs> uh, let's do this here then Dave why don't I go thank some sponsors and like just scrub myself deeply S to try and rid out. myself of the memory of watching yeah. Deliverance with my family <laughs> and then when we return we'll be talking about the movie American Beauty I'm just imagining how great that family portrait would be. Hey there, everyone. Just Kyle breaking into the episode one more time to tell you about all the great people that make this show continue to go. Here's one thing that they don't tell you about rose petals. When you sprinkle them across your floor and onto your bed in the hopes that that romantic gesture will uh, breed some... Uh, love and positivity into your life. It, it's for no other person than just for me. I put my own rose petals in my house as a trail to my bed because I'm a sad, sad man. No one tells you about the bugs. My house has now become a home to weevils and I think moths and these little stupid flies. But at the very least, they're keeping the spiders fed. 
Now I just need to keep that old woman who lives in the shoe out of my house. I should tell you that Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and supports their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This week, Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by ATB, and today I want to tell you about ATB's new podcast, The Future Of. You can join Todd Hirsch, ATB's Vice President and Chief Economist, as he connects with special guests who offer unique and useful perspectives about the future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. From the future of women in business to the changing nature of work itself, the future of helps us understand what's coming and what we need to do today to get the tomorrow we want. Featuring two episodes each month, plus bonus episodes, the future of includes interviews with top community and business leaders from Alberta and around the world. Subscribe to The Future Of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found, and connect to ask your questions about the future by emailing thefutureof at atb.com. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is also brought to you by the Calgary Foundation. Whether it's funding anti-racism programs, addiction recovery, or food hampers for the hungry, for 65 years, the Calgary Foundation has proudly supported the charitable community to address some of Calgary's biggest challenges. Now, during this period of unprecedented urgent needs, Calgary Foundation renewed its commitment to building a healthy, vibrant, giving, caring, and resilient community. If you're a registered charity looking for a grant, a professional advisor creating a giving plan for your client, or a donor wanting to give back to community, discover a wealth of resources at calgaryfoundation.org and learn more about their work through Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. All right, Dave. Um, By the amount of notes that you took while watching that movie, I feel like this is going to go one of two ways. Either you have rescinded your negative feelings or you're just as angry as you were 21 years ago watching this film well you know uh i'm always angry apparently uh Mm -hmm. i did not uh enjoy watching this okay well to uh, potentially like jump way too far ahead here then and spoil the ending. Um, Don't spoil it. Don't spoil this, it. In our non-spoilery section that we're in here right now, <laughs> is this like a hate this movie or are you just a dislike this movie? Is this like, this is like the same as Idle Hands or this is like, no, I just dislike this movie and don't think it's very good. Yeah, that's a fair point. So this is not an Idle Hands. This is not a message in a bottle. Or I think Blair Witch. Me, or Blair Witch uh, or South Park for that matter. I think for me... Uh, um, actually, akin to South Park, I think this is a better attempt at some right uh, political discourse or whatever you want to call it, cultural discourse about America. Satire, yeah, it's attempting that. Presumably, at least, yeah. yeah, presumably dark humor, presumably satirical. I uh, I thought it was exhausting, and I felt myself upset the whole way. And it is, in my mind, heavy-handed. Heavy-handed is a good phrase. It it's not very subtle. And I'm not even sure what the conclusions are. I mean, we'll get to that in the uh, latter half, but I, I just don't understand what I was supposed to feel like at the end. It was fascinating for me to rewatch this after so many years having not watched it. I am very much more positive about this movie than you are. I'm going to state that right up front. That being said, I think the third act of this movie, like the last third, is a complete mess. 
because I agree <laughs> with you because I don't really know what I as a viewer am supposed to take from the message and that is where the most heavy-handedness comes in with dialogue that in my opinion is very poorly written yeah I mean, <laughs> uh, and it's like wait what like it feels to me like such a shift in that last little bit that I'm because I enjoy the first two-thirds so much uh, that it's just like, okay, whoa, what is what is happening here? Uh, we talk about like woke culture and stuff like that here in the year 2020, but this is like a precursor to it. And like, okay, like I get it, <laughs> like I understand what you're striving at, but it, it feels very, very much on the nose. Talking about noses, I think you should get some work done. Coupled with that is that this is very much a movie of its time. This is a very 90s movie dealing with very 90s things that. I have a hard time believing that this is a film that in 20 years from now, anybody's even going to really be talking about anymore. Maybe the memes will survive and the aliens who come and take us over like, what was with this movie with the rose petals? Uh, but it is very much like something we have been discussing this entire season. Like this, these are people dealing with this existential crisis of feeling like they're a cog in the machine and trying to break free from that. And uh, what, what, what I wrote down I, I I think I finally cracked it because I've asked this multiple times on this show. It's like, what is it about the 90s that's so much different than today? And I've never been really been able to like throw it into specific language. Like nowadays, people feel like there's too much stuff happening. And in the 90s, there wasn't enough stuff happening, I think is what the issues were. Like that's like the very reductive mm. <laughs> distillation of, I think, of what the the crises were where the nights like I'm just going waking up every day going to the same job going to this cubicle and feeling like my potential is being squandered where it's still your potential being squandered but it's like I have so much stuff to do I know absolutely everything that's going on in the world I'm getting like so much more inputs every single day I have to have three jobs in order to survive so that I can afford like even basic rent like there's those types of things that people are worrying about and so I just say unless we kind of cure that and come back around i just don't see people like that are 19 years old right now being like you know what my favorite movie is american beauty because i don't even see like they would have the context for it nobody says that um so i <laughs> understimulated versus overstimulated when i spoke to some people who are either under 20 or have kids that are under 20 there's that movement where you know these young people are trying to disconnect from all the overstimulation and Right. presumably getting, I mean, I don't think that's true, but presumably getting off social media and pulling away from the algorithm. You'll never get away from me. At least the kids that are in film school probably are. I, I see that. It's interesting though that under and over, you end up with the same existential crisis right. <laughs> and the people yeah, no, end up it. having yeah, to do true. the same thing, which is uh, blow up your own life. And the end result is often the same. I mean, yeah, without spoiling the movie, there's a framework of the classic midlife crisis that this movie is built around. And I think the comedic bit is uh, pushing that to its extreme. Does it work, Kyle? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. For me, I find this movie incredibly funny for the first, uh, I would say at least the first 40 minutes of this movie. And it's, you, you kind of have to lock into it because I do feel like it's a very heightened, um, not quite like Quentin Tarantino-ish sort of thing, but they, they aren't really talking like normal people do. Like, I'll, I'll grant you that. But the the inflections that they have, like when Kevin Spacey buys himself that like little T-Bird Corvette or whatever, whatever car, Firebird, I think it is. And Annette Benning comes in is like very gracefully like hanging herself in the in the in the doorway. It's like, what is that out there? And it's like, it's my new car. It's like, did you discuss it with me? 
I did not. Uh, you never drove it, and I shouldn't have to. You know, those types of like, you know, like caustic, uh, passive aggressive type things. All of that basically worked for me. Like everybody is awful to everybody else in this movie, basically, uh, which is, you know, maybe not be the most fun thing. Fun, <laughs> perhaps, fun for you, but, Kyle. But That's it's fun. fun it's funny. You. And it, I think it's the, <laughs> the lines. There's some standout lines uh, for me, like the I rule uh, <laughs> when he throws the plate of asparagus against the wall. Like all of that stuff is is great for me. I, uh, Enough with this Lawrence Welk shit. I love that <laughs> when he says that. <laughs> you know, I think what twisted this right from the get-go, it runs a little too close to me. When they open oh. up, I think he's 42. Yeah, I think yeah. his life's breaking apart, and I'm like, oh, they've got a kid. Their kid's significantly older than mine, but, you know, Helen and I were watching it. I like, uh, Sorry, if Helen and I were watching it at the same time, we would have looked at each other and just been like, oh, shit. Like, uh yeah. This as different now. as yeah, as different as it is, how similar things are. Um, but as you're bringing up, you know, just the the I, I don't know if we've used the word on record, but the caustic sort of uh, extreme nature of everybody's relationship to each other made it very difficult for me to even find humor in it. I I understand what you're saying, and I think that's a classic. Maybe I don't want to say American style, but there's a classic, uh, yeah, satirical style of humor where people are just as mean to each other as possible. But in this one, I didn't find it charming at all. I found it kind of sick, and I, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't latch on to enough of a redeeming characteristic in any of the parties to actually think it was funny. And we'll get back to that because I think, in a weird way, the movie wants you to sympathize with a certain person that I don't really fully understand uh jen in the chat by the way on on youtube where we're streaming here right now also says that and i think this is true for a lot of the kevin spacey films now it it already was an uncomfortable situation where he's lusting after a teenage girl but now with his sexual uh, sexual assault allegations it's not a great rewatch because it's like well he kind of grew up to be this person uh so there's a weird meta-ness to this whole entire movie too not to be a defender, because, you know, it's interesting, A, that looking back, he has only portrayed creepy people. <laughs> it's like right. his niche, and he's very good at it. And B, you know, he's, like, properly blacklisted, although in my write-up, I do mention that that does not hold up in Hollywood, as we oh, see no. with Mel Gibson. I mean, and, you know, Mel Gibson back. came back after five years. I'm sure Kevin Spacey Kevin will be will back. Be back. Uh, and the reason I'm sure of that, too, is allegedly, according to the internet, none of the allegations have actually held up in court yet. So uh, as much as they're probably founded in, in something, as you brought up in your theater geek uh, world, this is a known fact pre-Hollywood. It, it was a known fact pre-all the allegations. Being known released, reputation, yeah. anyways. Uh, we can't say fact, can we? That definitely paints this movie rewatch with a bit of a brush, because uh, just from the get-go, as he's kind of breaking down, even before any of the child mm-hmm. child lusting comes out it, it is very yeah icky is that a is that an academic that word is the, that is the actual technical term latin for, for that feeling it's icky everyone in this room is icky well let's do this i want to get into a lot of the spoilers of this movie so we can have a more full discussion but let's do some backstory here first so american beauty was released on september 15th 1999 and interestingly enough, nothing else was released on that day. So it kind of was released unopposed, at least here in the United States. So this is where, if we did a deeper dive, we might be able to figure out like exactly when some of these ratings were put in. But as of right now, on the internet, on IMDb, this movie is rated 8.3. Well, 
It is rated 84 on Metacritic. And on Rotten Tomatoes, from 190 critics, it is rated 87%. Crazy. And from 660,576 users, it is rated 93%. Wow. So it is very highly regarded as far as the internet goes. Now, I was mentioning to you, Dave, off mic and off this podcast, depending on where you go, I am a big letterboxed fan. And on there, it seems like, I don't know why, it was probably because last year was the 20th anniversary, so there was a bunch of like newer reviews that were popping up on that site. And the somewhat critical consensus, at least from the you know film Twitter that I follow, uh, and film community that I follow on Letterboxd, is that it doesn't hold up. That people are like, I rated it highly back then, but I don't regard it very highly anymore. It hasn't aged very well. So, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's just like, retconning your past or or what that kind of comes down to but it doesn't seem in my very small study that this film is as highly regarded today as it was back then just quickly after again we allegedly just watched this i also went on imdb and i was incensed to see some of the reviews because uh, they're ridiculous uh, so what i did i sorted it in the negative review columns and you should read some of the one-star reviews because uh <laughs> Some of them are actually quite intellectually thought out. You know, typically right. with a one-star review, it, it, it gets a little, it gets very internet-y, right? <laughs> Fucking blows. Hated I don't like your face, you know? <laughs> I ate the wrong Snickers bar, so I don't want to, you know, stuff like that. But uh, there is actually, this is one of the first times I've read internet comments where I'm sitting there like, oh yeah, that's, I don't know if that's a one-star review per se. I mean, that's a bit, the number's a bit hating, but uh, some very good direct points. And in, just to your point, Many of the one-star reviews are actually over the last five years. And yeah. all of the five-star reviews are from 99, 2000, and 2001. So uh, there's been a cultural shift, that's for, for sure. sure. Which is not fair, I guess. Well, I don't know if it's not way. fair or not, but I think that that is something to be aware of. Again, like context matters, I think, in a lot of these things. Something I retweeted here the other day. It drives me nuts when when people kind of go off on the movie without talking about its context. Not that you have to like movies that are older than you know the year that you were born. But at the same time, it's like, well, let's look at this without like literally the last 47 years and see <laughs> what was going on at that time and why people might have been more attuned to it. And then like, yes, reevaluate it in current times. I have no problem with that. I find that uh, this is, again, tending for me to get into like old man yells at cloud territory. But it feels like to me that a lot of the times is like, I don't watch movies from this time period uh, and I'm not going to watch movies from this time period because they're all bad and uh, they come from this point of view. And so I'm just going to watch this stuff over here. And I don't know. I just find that pretty <laughs> limiting to your outlook of the history of film if you're only looking at one small part portion of it. Becomes like a reverse bias. This is the mm -hmm. thing with cancel. I mean, we brought this up in Boys Don't Cry. We brought this up in another movie where cancel culture is saying that, you know, oh, they should have had a trans actor portraying Hillary Swank. Yeah. And that is uh, not a sane opinion. <laughs> there's nothing, there's no point in saying that out loud. Number one, because uh, as we learned, the context of that movie was that that character had not actually transitioned yet and was mm -hmm. still technically female. And number two, like, you know, as much as I'll never watch that movie again, that was a good movie. So uh, right. get over it. It brought up the points that people are still upset about. Um, this movie will be the same. Well, any movie like that will be the same thing. I do think uh, I agree with you, Kyle. Imagine that. 
They should oh just watch gosh. a movie, All right, well, right? Just watch the movies. Thank you for listening to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. Kyle, uh, Dave has actually agreed with me for once. Okay. Shit. Is it possible for me to cancel the two of you? It is available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can buy or rent it on iTunes. You can also rent it on YouTube. It is also available to stream on Prime, Amazon Prime. What's up, stars? You're failing us once again. I thought you were our sponsors and you don't have it on your service. So this is the part where things are going to get wild. So it's budget. Do you want to guess the budget, by the way, of this film, Dave? Uh, nope. <laughs> okay. Just to put in context, last week we talked about The Insider. Yeah. All right. And maybe, and probably a lot of that budget was maybe Al Pacino's asking price. I don't know. Probably. That movie was made for $90 million. Okay. This movie, American Beauty, was made for $15.15 million. Oh, well. That is such a low budgeted movie. Yeah, I mean, and that, for and how good it looks well. and how and the and the actors that they got to yeah. be involved in this, I'm just like so shocked that it's that low. You know, what's interesting about that is, I mean, Annette Bening, as much as she's such a celebrated actress, this is '99, so women mm-hmm. were not considered humans, so she was probably not making a lot of money for being an actress, which sucks. Kevin Spacey's as much, he's already won an Oscar, but he's yeah. kind of a character actor at that point, right? I mean, he's not- Supporting actor, yeah, I would yeah. say that, yeah. So he's not Al Pacino asking for seven, eight figures. And then sure the rest enough. of them, like Chris Cooper hadn't really blown I up. I guess that's right. I guess maybe they're all like that supporting actor, yeah. actress category stuff. Yeah. So at most, they're probably asking for maybe a million dollars yeah, each, the and then you can put been, yeah. all the rest of it into the actual yeah. production design. Uh, Still, it opened, it, yeah. yeah, it had a- uh, limited release, so it opened to eight hundred and sixty-one thousand dollars, but would go on to make one hundred and thirty million domestically, and then pick up another two hundred and twenty-six million internationally. That is a grand total of three hundred and fifty-six million dollars. It was the ninth highest-grossing film of nineteen ninety-nine. If you just want to look at how different nineteen ninety-nine was, where American Beauty could be the ninth highest-grossing movie of the year. How fascinating that such a so-called dark comedy could make that much money. Yeah. Well, so I will also say, to make again, back then, even though like the ratings were already starting to fall, uh, there was a thing called the Oscar bump. Like when, it, when a movie won Best Picture, you could actually see the next weekend like increasing dramatically right. over the yeah, next yeah. weekend. And most of the time back then, like all five of the films that were nominated were probably still in theaters uh, when, right. the, when the telecast was there. So... Yeah, people or they would do the go back out. With yeah. the new branding. Correct, yeah. 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 Its plot description from IMDb is, a sexually frustrated suburban father has a midlife crisis after becoming infatuated with his daughter's best friend. Uh, its star is Kevin Spacey as Lester Burnham, Annette Benning as Carolyn Burnham, Wes Bentley as Ricky Fitz, Thora Birch as Jane Burnham, and Mina Savari as Angela Hayes. So we've talked about Kevin Spacey here already. Anything else you want to say, say about uh, any of those actors? There's not actually a lot, uh, which is a little bit surprising. The interesting thing uh, <laughs> is silly, but is it Thora or Tora Birch? Um, oh, is it? I don't know. Maybe I'm saying her name wrong. No, I just don't know. But her parents were uh, pornography actors. They Shut were in, up. What? They were in uh, Deep Throat. Shut up. I yep. had no idea. Ah, blew your mind there. By the way, if no one knows, there was this weird period in the late 60s, early 70s where like pornographic films were shown in literally just like your average multiplex and became high grossing films. And some of them were even nominated again for Academy Awards. So Deep Throat was like this big like one that like, God, (laughs) burst through the, the, the glass ceiling, so to speak, of art house and like pornography. 
Uh, That's wild. I had no idea. Let's take a look here. So that was good. Chris Cooper, I mean, again, not a lot. Uh, the, the tragic thing about Chris Cooper is uh, him and his wife had a son who died. Uh, so he had cerebral palsy, which sucks, and then died of an epileptic seizure. So that was a little dark for me to read. Right. Um, the other thing is interesting is his dad was an Air Force doctor, and he was also a cattleman, which I think you understand what that term means. I think it means he's half cow, half man. <laughs> And, uh, and a yeah, he's like RoboCop, except for cows. <laughs> uh, a dog man actually is the present thing, uh, Kyle, if you read books. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Like I'm not a best. cultured man. Uh, so apparently he got into theater because he had learned some carpentry uh, through his farming and started building sets. Yeah, I don't know if it's still up or not, because I think they put it behind a paywall after so many episodes. But Chris Cooper had a very long, like over an hour long conversation with uh, Mark Maron on the WTF podcast. And he goes through a lot of that stuff. He's a really interesting dude because he feels like he is, he feels like a military guy just himself. Like he carries himself that way. He also, to look, to look at, and for a lot of the roles he takes, you would think would be like hardcore conservative. And he is very much not. He is very much the opposite way. So yeah, uh, it's interesting guy. I did note that he always plays an angry military guy, but, um, <clears throat> and then Peter Gallagher, I just put in because he's got great eyebrows. So um, he does. He has amazing eyebrows. Incredible eyebrows. If I was talking like uh, top three eyebrows, you have him, Eugene Jack. Levy. Oh yeah. Um, Th- like thickness and girth. Are we you talking about deep throat again? What are we I doing think, here? I, I think we need to do. Uh, we'll have to do a side by side comparison because now I'm thinking of Eugene. Mm-hmm. And that'd be a fascinating competition. Eyebrows weird me out. This was written by Alan Ball. Uh, who started on television writing episodes for Grace Under Fire and Sybil, which is like exactly my kind of jam. Uh, (laughs) Then he wrote this. He jumped to create and write for Six Feet Under, which is considered by many to be on the shortlist of best uh, television shows of all time. And it usually does also show up on one of the best TV finales of all time. I don't know because I've never seen a single episode of uh, Six Feet Under. So I don't know if you have. Nope. No, I haven't. Was that an HBO show? I don't know. It wasn't. I think on it reg- was HBO. Yeah, yeah, that's not a regular, you know, plebe television channel. He would follow that up by helping. I forget if he was a creator for this uh, as well. He definitely wrote for True Blood. This is maybe a very unpopular opinion. I find True Blood to be basically unwatchable, but yes. I really dislike that show. <laughs> like I tried. I tried getting through a single episode and had to turn it off halfway through. Like, this I hated is, it that much. So This is why we get along. I, same thing. I can't remember how we got... Maybe it was on Showcase or something, but I tried to watch one episode and I almost punched myself in the face. I thought it was awful. I mean, you want to talk about uh, pornography uh, and the merging thing of, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Mass media. That That's basically a pornography television show, which is fine. You know, you can watch porn. I can't, Just watch I it for it free. And- why pay for yeah, HBO? I, yeah. I kept watching that half of an episode and being like, every actor that came on that I recognized was like, Anna Paquin, you deserve better. You don't need to be in this show. <laughs> Although, I don't know. She didn't really get anywhere either. He also wrote and directed the movie Towelhead. I've never seen that either. Sounds Upcoming great. is a film called Uncle Frank, which yeah. it what which was released two days ago on November 25th. Oh. On November 25th, which was, again, two days ago. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, he also directed that, by the way. He wrote and directed that. Uh, the, the, the Really, the big thing that's important to me about Alan Ball is that there is always a subtext 
or very much a text bit of homosexuality in his work. Yes. And apparently this thing I thought was annoying is he's a very loudly proclaimed Buddhist and apparently oh. a plastic bag happened to him. Uh, so that's fucking annoying. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. See, that's that's a problem right there. Yeah, good for you, dude. He spent too much time looking at plastic bags, not enough time sitting underneath the Bodhi tree. That's <laughs> that's his mistake right there. For Sam, Sam was knighted this year. Oh, was he? So he you might be a sir. No. He could be Sir Sam, Sam, Sir Sam Mendes. Sir Sam Mendes. But it was for his work in the theater. Apparently he's a big yes, deal. Yes, I was going to say, yeah. I knew him originally for his theater work as a director, which is, depending on who you ask, kind of divisive. Yeah. Uh, you were kind of an either love him or hate him in his theater pieces. I know him primarily from two Stephen Sondheim things that he did. He did a 1996, I want to say, or in, in the 90s somewhere, the Donmar Warehouse version of Company. So he cast all African-Americans in the roles. That wasn't what the divisive thing was, it's that he didn't cast singers. He casted actors first, and then they were so-so singers instead of casting singers first that could, could act the roles. I will say, though, it's actually one of the greatest performances of some of those songs is from that production, in my opinion. So I think he went out. He also did a production of Gypsy, which was very divisive, where a lot of people walked out of that production, basically making the Mama Rose character more sexualized than she'd ever been before, because you cast Bernadette Peters, who can't not play a sexualized thing when she's in, in a role. I love that production. I think it has it's great, but... There's a lot of detractors that really, really dislike that version of Gypsy. He is also the one responsible for basically, if you know anything about cabaret and its current form on Broadway and revivals and the traveling shows that go through, that's the Sam Mendes version of cabaret. He may, again, sexualized it and had people like half nude on stage, that sort of thing. It's not the Joel Grey version of cabaret that you know from the movie version, but he reconcepted it and. Basically, that's the way that Cabaret has been performed ever since, <laughs> since he did it that way. So he likes sex, which is yes. good. Uh, I have actually a third Stephen Sondheim thing. Uh, in, 90, in 1990, when he had his first artistic director appointment for, uh, I can't remember which studio he's redeveloping, he produced uh, his first Stephen Sondheim play called Assassins. Oh, I didn't know he did an Assassins. That's interesting. Just blew your mind a couple of times on this uh, episode, Kyle. This is crazy. Assassins up. has a really great. Uh, do you know anything about Assassins? No, I don't know. I'm not about talking about the Antonio Banderas movie from the '90s. <laughs> um, the uh, good movie. Assassins yeah, is a play and musical about all the times an American president has been or attempted to be assassinated, and it's all the assassins kind of coming together and kind of going through their stories. And basically, the theme of that is that if the message of America is to follow your dreams then the logical conclusion of that is to go and kill people so that you can fulfill your dreams and stuff as well. Like that's the, the corruption of Americanism. And boy, does that play not go over well with a lot of American audiences. Let me tell you that. <laughs> There's some themes here for Sir yeah. Sam. There's some themes. Yeah. And the only other thing is, uh, the other thing for you is apparently Marvel asked him to direct the Avengers, which he turned down and then they went to... Uh, Joss Whedon are you talking Whedon. about? Whedon, right, yeah. right. But it could have been a Sam Mendes movie, so we'd got a lot more sex, showers, and uh, anti-American messaging, which would have been better, <laughs> Maybe. frankly. Yeah, different. Uh, by the a way, uh, Jen in the chat is saying how lovely today, November 27th is. So just thought it's, I'd it's a cold one out there. 
Or warm. It's or Calgary. warm. Yeah, it could be really could, hot. Really, that could be could be either. Um, and it is. So the as far as films go, if we want to have like a quick like overview, this was his first directing gig. Uh, nice. Then he would do Road to Perdition, which I'm actually a big fan of. Again, haven't revisited in years, so I don't know if it holds up or not. Jarhead, which I remember being like, okay. And then Revolutionary Road, Away We Go. I didn't watch either of those. Have you seen those two films? Uh, I don't know. Which is Away We Go, the one with John Krasinski? No, no, that's a different Yes, it is. Uh, yes, oh, okay. it is. And uh, his then-wife, Maya not- Rudolph, but is not his wife currently. Wait, he was married to Maya Rudolph? I think I could be I could be conflating that with something no. else now that I, think I that say was just that. just in the show. Okay. But... Uh, but then we jumped to James Bond, like you said, did Skyfall and Spectre. One of those movies is good. And then recently <laughs> directed 1917, which yeah. I was a big fan of, but again, I know there are some big detractors out there Still for Still haven't been able to watch it because uh, my movie partner won't let me press play on that. So, I'll have to find a dark corner somewhere <laughs> for that single take i really want to see the single take man yeah i mean no, no better way to watch a big war epic than on the smallest screen you can possibly find every movie is made better by squinting let's get into some spoilers here for american beauty i guess i don't know where you want to start with this dave like what is it about this movie that just grinds your gears so much well i i don't know where to start either i mean i think the difficulty for me getting into this I, base structure and intent of kind of poking, not fun, but uh, maybe criticizing uh, American culture in 1999. You know, I'm, I'm all about that. I think, uh, you know, mass consumerism, the American dream, suburban lifestyle, all that stuff uh, is inherently poisonous. And so any kind of attempt to uh, highlight that uh, should be a win for me. But there's just something about this movie. I think it plays on tropes that I'm aware of because we watch American films, but I don't participate in. You know, like, like the where you brought up the dining room scene. Uh, so th- this is what h- hits a little close for home. I mean, you know, th- we have three people in our family and we eat dinner together. And so there's a 42-year-old man, his wife, and uh, and their child eating dinner. But And we listen to music when we eat. <laughs> yeah. But do, th- th- can I ask you, do yeah. you listen to uh, Bally High from South Pacific? N- no. That's, what, uh, that's the original one that they're listening to at the dinner table. So. Well, that's the thing. So the, it's not like we live this life, but right. it is weird because, um, you know, it's this uh, depiction of an American, and maybe it's because Sam Mendes is from the UK. And I can't remember if the writers, no, he's American, but um, the portrayal of America, actually, we talked about this in so many of these movies, the portrayal of America, whether it's small town or big city, I, I do have a little bit of a disconnect. So uh, watching them in a giant house, uh, miserable, sitting at a table that's too big for them. I mean, that's a trope, but I just already it was making me feel disconnected. I didn't care, you know, and they're angry. I'm like, yeah, I've seen it before. And, you know what? Uh, I, I was going to wait until the end to, t- to talk about this, but I think part of the issue is, uh, and this is such like me getting on my soapbox. I think Alan Ball has the wrong main character. Yeah. I don't think we should be following Lester's story. I think we should be following his wife's. Yes. I think hers is the more interesting downfall. Um, while, while ultimately, yes, it's Lester who gets shot in the head. And like, it's like this interesting intrigue mystery of like, I'm already dead. And let's find out like how I end up, you know, dead in this story. I find it's her story about like, used to being like, quote unquote, in his description, fun loving and, and wanting Free. to go in for adventures yeah. and like being so self-consumed by image and getting ahead. Like that is an interesting, I think story into like the American dream and how it can corrupt you. Because I wrote down a bunch of different things about like her entire existence 
is so exhausting to me. Like just watching her, like putting up appearances, talking to people, like up the roses, going Slapping to show the house. Yourself. Holy shit. And it's just like, yeah. oh my gosh, like I just doing that much. But then I wrote it down. Like there's that moment after she shows the house and it's like not a great house, but she's trying to get this Slapping off the market. Yourself. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the slapping herself saying oh like God. a thousand percent her her breakdown crying is like just like shut up, like get get Weak her game face baby. on. Yeah, I wrote that down. Almost every single retail employee has done that during Christmas. I will <laughs> I guarantee you. I have done that before in my life. Like just like fighting through tears because you, you get just back like up had... there and you show them how that fucking touch ID works. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not too far off it. But I mean, I'm just saying that like I, I think that actually is much more universal than what this movie even thinks that it is. Is like that feeling of like, I'm just trying to do my best and my best isn't good enough right now. And that crumbling of yourself be based on your job. You know where I think that also would work much better is this weird zombie role that they put Alice and Janie in. Cause I do not right. understand that character at all, but it would have been fascinating as a, uh, as a comparison between having been broken and just completely right apparently i don't know what it is catatonic versus uh the opposite where she's trying so hard she's uh, eating herself up from the inside instead mm-hmm. i mean i get why uh, you know with the backstory alan ball wants this to be so strongly about homophobia and about sort of the male sexual experience but the moment Kevin Spacey's standing there naked, pumping iron for like 45 fucking minutes, every scene, it's just, it's so creepy. He does get kind of ripped though. I mean, it does well, he was creepy. pretty strong to begin with, but uh, no, but uh, I don't know. Uh, even without the context of who Kevin Spacey turned out to be in the public sphere, it is very weird that we spend so much time, even as a setup uh, for the big sort of shocking finale it's just it's heavy and you know you have the nice gay couple with uh what's his face from Scott Quantum Bacula. yeah and they they disappear did he disappear or did he just leap home for the final time you know it's a setup to show some tension and they're just written out of the movie entirely yeah it, it, there is a lot of setups that i don't know get entirely paid off by the end i'll grant you that i think that there is enough thematic through lines for me that pull me through i mean i'm thinking of there's that party that lester and carolyn go to and he's introduced to um eyebrows guy peter gallagher peter gallagher introduced to peter gallagher and he's like he doesn't remember kevin yeah. spacey at all he's like don't worry i would have forgotten me too i have unironically said that before in my life <laughs> of being introduced to someone like for the third time and i'm not remembering who i am i think what this movie does a great job at is again showing the ridiculousness of things that we prioritize in our lives. It's not that they aren't important necessarily, it's that maybe we put too much stake in them throughout our lives, whether that's our job, the thing that like bores me to tears and aggravates me to no end, which is homeowner politics, about like this tree's roots is in my yard and blah, blah, blah. And it's like overhanging this way. And like your property line is actually two inches that way. So why is your, like anytime like those types of conversations come up in my real life, I'm like, just fix it. Then. I, I don't care. Like, what do you want to do? And let's do it because I have, have no investment in the solution to this. So just do what you want to do. But so many people like make that their whole entire life being of like regulating the community that they're in sort of thing. The way that this does treat homosexuality I think is pretty on the mark for what the late 90s were. Sure, there was going to be, there was opening up a little bit 
Ellen had come out on television. There is like gay and lesbians being shown in somewhat positive lights in, in media and that sort of thing. But by and large, I would say that the father's reaction to that is pretty close to true for what a lot of gay and lesbian people had to go through in the late 90s. And that's the thing, you know, the, the core of the intent of how the thing's written to bring up these concepts, I, I'm on with. It's not a disagreement. Yeah, let's say with the Chris Cooper character that that is an inaccurate situation. I mean, that is, I and mean, we've seen it in news. I mean, I, I wrote down, uh, what was that, Orlando nightclub shooting or like any of that stuff where people, I wrote bracket Jason Kenney, but we don't have to keep that uh, on the thing <laughs> sure, either. But, sure. um, you know, we, we see that, this tension and how people uh, get wrapped up. And so it's not a bad thing and it's not a bad theme that, uh, you know, I don't disagree with the theme of how the movie is. I just don't, I didn't find myself enjoying it. And by the time that the big reveal was about to happen, it had become so off the the wire, like you talk about the third act, it becomes so physically violent and so nonsensical. I, I couldn't even understand the uh, finale with Annette Benning and the gun and the fucking raining and the SUV. Like, I was just like, is she going to kill somebody too? Like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on here because uh, well, the, uh, they lost yeah, I, it. To, to expand on that, like, I think, I think, and this is all, because I, I, I don't know if the movie necessarily leads me up to fully supporting this i think the idea is that she's driving home to divorce her husband and potentially to kill him too like i don't i like that's what it feels like it's driving up to i think that the movie wants her to be mystery of like who is the actual killer of kevin right, spacey it's, so it's over in like 20 seconds i know so you're thinking it's annette benning because you're that's the one we see the gun with and it actually turns out to be chris cooper but it could also be like this guy's son like we just don't know who is because he jokes about killing him like first thing in the movie is one of the first things that we hear. It's not set so up well. I think there's this mystery element that gets added. It's like I don't know if you really need the mystery element to be there. No. I think I think that's where the heavy handedness comes in because that's like there's the confrontation of like the two lovers that they're gonna run off to New York is like, we're always gonna be freaks. And we're going to be freaks together. And we're not going to be around the normals like you. And I was like, I don't know if you, I don't know if anyone will understand this reference. But when she was on the show, uh, Saturday Night Live, Vanessa Bayer had this character of like the over-exaggerated like supporting character in a teen movie. <laughs> and that's what it sounded like to it. Like the over-enunciation. It's like, and we'll never be with you anymore. <laughs> like that's basically what it sounded like. I'm like, okay, like this is a little bit overdone. That's, you know, Mina Savari is a little bit wasted with that too. I mean, mm -hmm. outside of the initial setup of her alleging that she enjoys the uh, the company of men in this sort right. of uh, pseudo Marilyn esque kind of thing, her character starts thinning out into this. It's, I guess, it's supposed to be a pantomime of teenage sexual American culture. Uh, right. And then the irony, we, I we guess. We think we want the, 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 the schoolgirl, but it turns out we actually don't want. <laughs> And the flip girl. side of, you know, the irony of her lying about it to get popularity and turns out she's a virgin. Like all of that stuff is, uh, you know, and the mystery thing is a great thing too, a uh, great point too. There's no, it doesn't work for me. I didn't find myself caught up in it. It felt like, and maybe it's because there are too many movies, you know, that came after that play on these same things. I don't know, but it felt predictable to me where did I notice that Chris Cooper is likely going to be a closeted man? I, I thought it was you know, kind of thrown at you from the get-go. But maybe that's just me in 2020. Uh, I have no uh, idea. Yeah, I think that might be a 2020 reading. I think that's a more modern thing. Like, the more 
you disagree with the gay lifestyle, the more gay you are going to be. Mostly because we've seen like a half dozen American senators do the exact same the thing, thing in their right? life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that might be that might be part. But it also plays into a what we always ask where this movie holds up, and b I I was not able to kind of strip that away from it. Just to mention some of the things here, like some of these are like can be used as a time capsule. But I just think the mentality behind all these things are just it's lost on us now. But like actually having an address book, using Star sixty nine having a beeper <laughs> that is shown in this movie, like just even the cars and stuff that they're driving in this movie is like so hilariously 1999. Uh, but there's, there's a feeling of quaintness in this movie that I didn't feel back in 1999 that I now feel like, like, Oh, this is like a very almost naive outlook to, to the idea of what we now call toxic masculinity that I think has been better and more fully explored in more modern films. Which, by the way, just because, you know, Nazism seems to be on the rise again, the fact that he has, like, that Nazi plate and showed it to me, if I was the girl in that situation, that is the point where I, like, would have noped out of that relationship pretty quickly. Because if you're the type of woman that's attracted to a guy who videotapes you in the dark, uh, there is no nope at that point. Videotaping people in the dark is what I consider second base. Just a quick interesting fact about that scene. Chris Cooper talked about how to build for this character. He had friends who were vets and he interviewed them to just Mm -hmm. get into the mindset. And it just made me think uh, this is probably anecdotal from some of his friends who have been through these situations. They kept a a Hitler plate. Yeah, or the fascination with war, right? right? For good or for ill. I mean, most of the idea of what we talk about with PTSD and I have struggled fitting in, but if I had either directly killed, been shot at, or been around an environment in which I'm trying to be intentionally dehumanized so that I can easily kill or be killed, you're not going to come back into a suburban house and be quote unquote normal. It's impossible, right? You, you, You can't fit in. So I don't know if it implies he's a Nazi, but it is an interesting idea to be fascinated with death in that way, mm-hmm. that you would have uh, this glass case. The other thing that I think by the end got too heavy-handed, I mean, it's essential for how the characters discover each other and, and come to the critical thing, but you know, just this idea of the rear window thing where everybody can see each other all the time so that we can get all of these images of nudity, implied blowjobs, breasts, all of that stuff, because... They're all looking at each other through these open windows. It, that's a weird... But isn't it beautiful that he always focused on her face rather than her breasts, Dave? <laughs> you know, I, one thing I, I wrote down is I'm glad that he was a better uh, camera operator than the idiots in <laughs> Blair Witch. Yeah. <laughs> the Blair Witch people? Yeah, he should have been the one filming the documentary. The yeah, I, could actually, the woods. I saw everything. I didn't throw up. And, uh, and you know, his, his ability to steady cam through the... Uh, plastic bag was ingenious that was uh, it was art Kyle. Yeah. that was art by the way did you notice who one of the home buyers was home button oh uh harold was there yeah john cho was yeah which is the second cameo by the way this is only something that you notice if you watch like a lot of movies uh and especially if you do something like we do we're watching it all from the same year so he has his what like five second cameo and she's all that is that the movie that he's in uh, uh, he's no, in um, this for like less than that, like two seconds. American uh, oh, sorry, pie. it's American Pie. It's American, American pie. pie. He's yeah. in American Pie. He's in this for like two seconds. And he's also in like a short cameo in the film Bowfinger, also released in 1999. So it's so weird to me. This is why he made it. 
Because he's hustling, man. He's, he's hustling. And it's like these three little bit parts. And then Harold and Kumar came out two years later, I yeah. think. Uh, I don't know when, but yeah, he he made it. He's uh, Yeah. So good to see John Cho yeah. is what we, I'm trying to say. We don't have to see Mickey Rooney. No, we won't do that. I have to tell you, Dave, like it's, I don't even want to say this, but I mean, I felt racist because I was like, was that John Cho? Just because it's like an, <laughs> an Asian guy that I saw. Uh, and then I looked it up. It's like, oh, it was, it was John Cho. And I saw it for like <laughs> half a second. <laughs> I feel like there was somebody else in the homeowners that I recognized, like as a right. side character, but it doesn't really matter. Similarly, it's also the second time we've heard Bob Dylan this year. Oh, so Bob. weirdly, in 1999, Bob Dylan seemingly was in a few different movies here for us. We'll see if he shows up again. I couldn't understand the rose petals. I know it's a meme. Well, it, I, I, I think hmm. it's supposed to be comedic and maybe this is because it's pretty free porn on the internet where I guess. sexuality I mean, I, has become quite brutal actually but i think I, it's a writer sorry. showing off his writeriness to be perfectly frank annette benning is pruning roses the first time we yeah. see her she's so red, she, yeah. you know she's in red and she's like yeah she's controlling the the flowers to be perfect and beautiful Petals, of course, are when they actually like break Wilt. apart. Yeah. But uh, plucking flower is the is a euphemism for plucking someone's virginality from from them. So I think that's all. I honestly think that's all it is. Is that the rose petals is there to be seduction as well as showing off like uh, having sex with a woman. Go and read like poetry from the 1700s, and it's always I pluck this and I pluck that and blah blah blah. Well, you know, like do some plucking. Right, I've, pluck I, I've I've plucked in my in my day. If you, if you know what I mean. No. Oh Jesus! I'm completely lost. No, I I thought it was weird, and I, it's not fair to bag on special effects from the 1990s. But we Boy, have... I, I I agree that did not hold up, did it? I I was shocked at how bad that looked. And you know what? For 15 million, like now looking at it, for 15 million bucks for a directorial debut for I think it's Alan Ball's first and only kind of script. I should be more forgiving, but it is a bit jarring in 2022. Even have the idea to depict his first fantasy. What was it like the rose are pouring out of her body yeah. instead of showing her breath? I can't remember how it worked. That's, but that's I, I exactly just, right. She opens yeah. up her shirt and then it like spews out. And it yeah, it's weird, very th early 3D modeling and yeah. stuff. It doesn't look great. But anymore, even the concept but... of that was kind of weird. And maybe that's just, you know, there's a, a thought and a storyboard and then you got to make it into a visual effect. So maybe it just is, yeah. but it tripped me up a little bit. I, I don't know. At one point, and the lighting, some of the lighting uh, switches, you know, when he's in bed and all of a sudden it's midday, maybe that's meant to be dreamlike and comedic, but it, it just threw me off. I didn't even understand what was going on anymore. So yeah, I think it's, it's metaphor more than anything else. Of course, we're leaving this to like the last uh, as we're as we're about to wrap up here. Some of the themes I think are very resonant for me and some maybe not so much. I think the core one is essentially the life philosophy that Lester Burnham has versus the, the Chris Cooper character because Chris Cooper is all about like, you can't just go around and do what you want. Like that's, he says that a couple different times. You can't go around and just do what you want. Yet that's kind of what Lester eventually says. Like, I am just going to do what I want. I've lived long enough. I tried to do what society told me to do. and was unhappy. So I'm just going to do what I want to do and I'll just be happier for it. So there's that mixed with this this idea of like being normal is actually the worst thing that you can ultimately be. And I kind of finally figured out how much this movie has sunk its teeth into me and how much it probably influenced me as a young guy, because that is something I've held on to for the majority of my life, that being normal is something to look down upon, rightly or wrongly. I'm not saying that I'm necessarily even agree with that, but 
it's definitely made me, uh, I don't know. This is probably why I went to therapy for so many years, because I was so like frustrated by the fact that I'm such a, an average person that I hate it, <laughs> that I don't stand out in front of anyone. And therefore that equals bad in my head. I think this movie, I'm blaming this movie, Dave. This is the movie <laughs> that caused me to think all this. Uh, Kyle, you do stand out because every time we used to go and find you at the Apple store, we just looked for the tallest person in the fucking room. But uh, no, <laughs> right. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand what you're talking about. I, I think I wrote down that there are similar themes like, right, Fight Club, Office Space. Yeah. There's a couple. Yeah. I mean, you know, is he the Tyler Durden of this movie? I don't know. It's it's a weird thing, but... Um, <laughs> he wasn't there the entire time. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, there's a bit of... Uh, I don't know if he was trying to be forgiving of uh, Kevin Spacey's character, but you end up with that question, kind of like you bring up, has he actually done anything wrong? You know, so he, he's lusting after this teenager... He's quit his job. He's breaking up with his wife. He's uh, verbally assaulting his daughter because of his own demons. And I've kind of lived that life a little bit. Like, unlike you, where you're describing having watched this early and having this thought process where you want to stand out. I mean, I, whatever my thought processes were, I did do the uh, Chris Cooper thing and have a shitty job and just be angry mm -hmm. and, and, and kempt, uh, pent up. But I don't know, man. Like, you have to pay a price for all of it. And, and maybe the idea is that he gets shot in the head and that's the culmination but the shot in the head actually turns out to be the homophobia and the uh the closeted sort of uh, repression piece i think it doesn't actually have anything to do with him so mm -hmm. that's kind of weird well I, again everyone is so self-involved like they're all yeah, about they're only so really selfish. ever thinking about themselves right yeah. so i didn't find not only there isn't a single person that i think is redeeming i also think any kind of moral uh center is lost in it because it strays too much at the end it, where it definitely strays way too much at the end and it gets too like i don't know self-masturbatory that it really did turn me we, off like the last 20 minutes of there, this movie right you do start with him jerking off in the shower so and you see kevin spacey's butt which is probably to be, to be honest improv. looks like a great birthday to me but <laughs> i guess the only other thing just to put a button on that i think is why i find it so effective is the only thing that kind of does work for me uh thematically in that last little bit is that because Chris Cooper has been so adamant about like there's, you know, there's regimen, there's ways you do things. You can't just do what you want. The one and only time he goes and does what he wants, which is go and kiss the Kevin Spacey character. He's rebuffed, shut down, and he totally loses his mind over it. He has to like write that wrong of this thing that he's been pushing down so much inside of him sort of thing. So those are the types of themes that like, like they bubble up even with the stuff that I don't necessarily like. There's things here that still grab me. I think as you're bringing up with uh, Annette Benning, a more direct way to tackle that in a revisionist sense would be yeah. to dwell there at least for five more minutes to kind of get into Chris Cooper's head uh, or backstory about some of the things he's experienced, you know, maybe in the military or in his childhood to kind of mirror why he's, you know, close fist punching his pothead son. You know, even before it's about being gay, it's like he's... He's just beating the shit out of that kid. And the ki we haven't talked about the plastic bag or the, the yeah. weird son. I mean, I don't know if learning about this idea of proclaiming to be Buddhist, I don't know if he's supposed to be a Buddha. I mean, he's so disconnected from anything. Yeah, I get But he's also that, corrupted, right? He's that, a drug that, Well, I was going to say, like, he's corrupted by, he's, he's being this artist yet still such a capitalist at the same time. Right. And maybe there's a comment on that about how, like, every hippie eventually becomes like a hardcore capitalist. But it's <laughs> over not time. becoming, right? It's, he's yeah. a duality. You know, that scene where he's uh, selling 300 bucks for a pound. A By pound the way, is, do you, I don't know if you were ever a weed guy, but is that 
realistic in the 90s? That seems so high to me, but I, I actually no, have no idea. You know, I mean, the $3,000 is insane. And that's the capitalist part, you know, the medical grade shit. But I just remember when they were approaching the bedroom and he asked, what was it for like an ounce? And I was like, that's a lot of fucking weed or half a pound. I'm like, that's a lot of weed, dude. And he actually pulls out the bag. I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of weed. Like, that's not how you... When you come back, that was kind of a weird purchase, but I don't remember the price in 99. I think it was uh, 300 bucks for a half ounce, but the money part at the beginning was what I would have expected in 99 for people to mm -hmm. talk about pot. Uh, and it does come in a, in a Ziploc or a, in a wrapped plastic bag with tape. But yeah, as soon as he flips it into the medical grade, and this is what I smoke, right? 3000 bucks for like a, a quarter. I was just, it, it's weird, man. Like I, I couldn't understand that guy either. Even the smiling, creepy Joker face when he's staring at uh, Kevin Spacey's dead head, seeing the beauty in, in a guy's head being shot off. I, it, it was just it's weird. weird. Like I always thought that there was thing. more of that storyline in this movie than what there actually it's is. Not in there, there, man. It really no. isn't there much. Um, I guess the, really the last thing is how this movie wraps up. And th this is honestly the most inscrutable for me. Which is like Kevin Spacey tries to have sex with Mina Suvari. She says, I'm a virgin. He, I guess, is broken from the spell. I'm like, oh, you're just like a girl. So let's like not do this. So magnanimous of him. And then uh, who asked them? Like, someone asked him, like, How are you? Right. And he's like, I'm she great. Does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, how yeah, are And he's like, kitchen. I'm great. And he smiles, like, Wow! Like happened? I don't, yeah. I don't get it. I like, where did you get to the greatness from? I, I didn't see that. I, well, I just don't see that character growth because yeah. I could understand if he'd finally found like him getting back to his teenagerhood where he didn't care. He said like that was the happiest I've ever been is when I don't care. But it feels like he ultimately cares too much. So I don't get where the I'm great comes from. Like it's felt like such a tacked on ending to me that didn't feel earned. You know, just think about the critical response and the people watching this movie. Uh, you know, is that why they like it? You know, I, I have obviously a very negative opinion about movie criticism, that they tend to want to either show off that they're more intellectual and more well-read than, you know, anybody else, or they have deep-seated psychological issues where they only want to watch people suffering. And you think they would like horror movies more, but... Uh, you know, all of their dramas have to be these things where everybody's just fucking slitting their own wrists all the time. I mean, this is this is that kind of movie where it's such a drag. But yeah, it, is this supposed to be a redemption not only of him, but of the people watching that? Oh, well, it's okay, man, because he did the right thing. I mean, that's such an American concept, you know? it's You still have to pay. <sighs> there yeah, still has I, to be a balance, right? I know he gets shot in the head, but again, I don't think getting the shot in the head has anything to do with how he's living his life. It, right, it's entirely yeah, like, Chris it's, it's the two things don't, match like if they had somehow tied that more fully together where the where chris cooper gets to and where he gets to cross paths right yeah and then that and then he still gets shot in the head and like after he says i'm great that would be a much more tragic feeling that i think this movie actually ultimately gets to um so it feels like incomplete to me in the year 2020 and i do honestly think and we referred to this all the time this is still like a pre 9-11 mentality, sure. I think. And I think that there was a bit of a naivety to that. But with what we've seen and how we've seen politics and like social dynamics and revolutions happen in that time span, having a guy be like, you know what? My life isn't so bad. And it feeling it feels like a sitcom ending to what up to that point has been like a drama. And it's like, I don't where how do we get here? Uh, well, I mean, maybe that's how Sybil worked. And I never watched Sybil, but 
Grace Under Fire was better, in my opinion, but that's just, uh, that's just me. We're done here. Okay, well, the machine has told us that we need to wrap up. I think we've basically answered this, but do you think this movie is still culturally relevant, Dave? No. I mean, the one small reserved yes, I will say, is that at its very core, you know, as we're seeing, likely Donald Trump has been reelected at this point. The American culture uh, is still broken. They still chase this concept of what the best American life is, which is materialism, space, and prestige, and sex. I mean, those things are still around. But the way it's portrayed, I think, is so dated. Um, never mind, right, like the pager and the cars and all this stuff. It's just, even, yeah, even the context like we're talking about, there have been so many ways that these themes have been portrayed in a much more direct, poignant, and artistic way that I don't think anybody can pull uh, that much out of this movie anymore. But I, don't know, I think there's still me. some fun to be had. I, I agree, ultimately, that I don't think this is culturally relevant anymore. I, did, I don't see this really surviving. I don't think there's enough there to pull it through for... I mean, like... Casablanca is ostensibly like we're not in the middle of wartime rationing in like Northern Africa, like right, like and not wearing like fedoras and like trench coats all the time. I had a fedora for a bit, like smoking cigarettes, (laughs) like it's going out of style. Like, uh, so there's movies like that though that their themes though are so universal that I can look past the datedness of it. I don't feel necessarily the same way here. There's certain themes I can pull out of there, and I do have an affection for it through, I will admit, probably rose-colored glasses, but it is, uh, it definitely is not something that I don't think I'll necessarily want or need to revisit this <laughs> going forward. I might jump into it now and again, but it's, it's not something like, say, like The Sixth Sense we saw a few weeks ago, which is still like rooted in the nineties, but I think there's more to that movie than it's setting. Very watchable. Well, Dave, that does mean that we need to get to our ratings. Uh, Before we do that though, I think we should just call out that if you enjoy our podcast, there is many different ways in which you can help to support us. The quick, easiest and free way to do that is you can go to whatever podcast player you use and you can leave a review and a rating, especially if you are on the Apple uh, platform, because apparently that is like the one that helps the very most. So you can go and leave a rating or a review, and it's free to do so. You can tell other people if you're enjoying this show, definitely let other people know so that they can kind of join in and listen to it and be like, you know what? I do need another movie podcast in my life. Uh, if... <laughs> If you want to help us out monetarily, if you think that we're good enough for you to, you know, support us that way, you can go to our Patreon page. You can actually support at any level, starting at $1, you can support us. If you want to get access to some of the things that we post there each month, that starts at 5 But literally, you can go there and support us for as low as one single Canadian dollar. Although it'll be converted to whatever country you're in. So that might be one American dollar. 20 cents American. It's 20 cents American. So come on. And then uh, if you want to see us over on uh, social media, we are at KDVSTM on Twitter and Instagram. That is also where you can find our Letterboxd lists. So if you want to go to Letterboxd, type in KDVSTM, you'll see all of the short reviews, links to all of our episodes, as well as the ability to uh, join us over there and uh, see how we have rated every single movie we've talked about here so far. 
this season, which this is what? This is our 46th film that we've talked about. If nothing else, we've got endurance. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> With all that being said, Dave, out of five, what would you rate American Beauty? I think as a movie, I'm going to go to a two. Okay. Um, I mean, some of the acting pieces and as deserve a, more. And as a not movie, what would you rate it? Well, I just think some of the individual performances deserve more merit. But, you know, overall, like I, I thought everybody except for, uh, you know, maybe the son, the, the weird videographing dude yeah, yeah. was uh, quite good in it. I just, the whole thing is not uh, that enjoyable. So I'm going to stick with the two. That was my apology. As I, as I said, I'm probably rating this higher than would, than had this movie come out like this year or something like that. But I still enjoyed it overall, even though I'm probably never going to revisit it all that much. So I'm rating it a four, pretty high. Apologies, uh, Dan. But that means that it is going to average to a three. And this is hilarious to me. Do you know what other film that ties it with? South Park? No, American Beauty is tied with American Pie. Ah. So, do you think this is a better or worse movie than American Pie? I think worse, frankly. I think better, so I don't know how we're going to (laughs) (laughs) end this tie here. Um, Well, let's look at this. Let's look at this. So, I think we have been trying to rate these versus cultural relevance correct or or would you have a different idea uh, on that i think we flip-flopped i think one, at least one tie has been on watch rewatchability. Uh, yeah and i think the problem at this point is they're cross genre so the mm-hmm. intent of what you know for example i don't think sam mendes makes this movie to be rewatchable. you know when you make american beauty i don't think they want they're not intending for people to throw this on repeat you know at the local saloon i mean this is supposed to be a you do realize there there has to be at least one person who's like watched this every single day for like the last 30 years i don't think uh, or 21 years but it's too depressing i i'm gonna i'm until i change my mind again i think that we probably should be maybe ultimately looking at this as kind of a combo like how we watchable slash how culturally relevant is the is the movie itself this is, by the way, pointing me into a corner because I would probably argue that American Pie is more relevant than American Beauty is. Yes. At the very least, like, more even though it's tied into its 90s-ness itself, there is still something, I think, that can be gleaned from it. Uh, it was surprising. Me. Yeah. Yeah. It was surprisingly relevant. I didn't think I would like American Pie, and I actually enjoyed watching it, which is weird. And that was in spite of Chris Klein. So... <laughs> I mean, that says something That right says there. a lot, uh, yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, well then, I guess... Join me, Kyle. Join I'll me. join you on the dark side here. <laughs> that will mean, then, that American Beauty will be entering our list at the number 26 position. I think we're in for some controversy. Like, if we ever make it and someone goes on to yeah. Letterboxd, like, they're going to start yelling. What is this? What, yeah. How is this rated? <laughs> this movie is rated 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, you fucking assholes. And be like, yeah, it was, it was shit. Um, all right. Well, let's take a look here. I'm going to push this button. And next week, we're going to be watching... Oh, I, Dave, I want to say this is actually one of my favorite films of all time. Ooh, all time. So, of all time. We get to watch the movie Magnolia. Mm, yeah, it's, I remember, remember Magnolia. It. Yeah, I remember that it's really long. It is, and... Yeah, it's over, it's over three hours. For sure, <laughs> it's over three hours. Get froggy, everyone. We're going to watch Magnolia. 
This is a, you know what we should do is a uh, a little chart to see how many as you brought up how many actors are in multiple films. I mean Tom Cruise is is hustling too, man. Well, uh, interesting enough, over on our Letterbox page, it does that for you. Oh, so you can actually see what actors and producers and companies we have actually watched the most, and it is actually somewhat surprising when it actually gets broken out for you. Huh. All right. That's all I'm going to say. So John Cho's a, number one. <laughs> there, there is a certain actress who we have seen the most. And Allison James, it is, probably. And uh, no? it's not who you think it is. No, damn it. All right. Well, Dave, I'm just going to turn on this hair dryer and watch this plastic blag float around. Oh. For a second there, I thought you were heading to that stand-up shower, and I was just going to leave. I, I didn't need to see that. That is actually the machine's biggest kink. <laughs> Eyebrows weird me out.